Women are socialized to believe that everybody else's opinion is more important than their own and that their kind of job in life is to make other people happy. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights. And I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mindvalley. And right now, Mindvalley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mindvalley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before and see how amazing this transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as superhumans at work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page, which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you can and also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Superhumans at Work. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Super excited to get started today where we're going to be talking about, well, looks like we're going to have to have an explicit mark on this episode because we're going to talk about unfuck your brain. And we have the founder and CEO here, Kara Lowenthal, who's actually a master certified coach with a BA from Yale and a JD from Harvard Law. Now get this, she worked her life in a legal career field, but in the last three years has pivoted and went into life coaching. She's now running an over seven figure business and she's been featured on major outlets such as Mary Claire, MindBodyGreen, MSN.com and Huffington Post. She actually runs the podcast Unfuck Your Brain, which has been downloaded over 5 million times. And what she does is teaches women how to undo the effects of patriarchy on their brains and uses a combination of evolutionary psychology, cognitive science, and feminist theory to teach women how to literally rewire their brains to create confidence, self-love, and the courage to create the lives they truly want to live. Now, this is going to be an important episode for the women listeners, as well as for the men to gain more awareness on how do we play a part as well. And for women, get ready for some amazing content that will really help you unfuck your brain. So Kara, <laughs> thank you so much for being here on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. We really have to update that. It's been downloaded almost 12 million times now. My God, congratulations. But yes, for sure, if men have made it this far and we're about to turn it off because we said we were talking about women, this affects everybody, right? Socialization and what you learn from society impacts everyone's brains. And one of the biggest miscomprehensions, I think, about feminists is that we're like, don't like men or anti-men, right? Patriarchy is bad for everybody. It's not good for men either, right? Everybody's getting taught they have to behave in these very gender-specific, stereotypical ways that aren't good for anybody. So doing this work is beneficial, whatever gender identity you have male, female, non-binary, whatever, however you identify. Love it. And, you know, you started off in a legal career. Now, it seems like that's one of the fields that you're probably going to see most of this patriarchy kind of system. So I was going to ask you, is that the fact? And what was your experience going through that before you pivoted out into a life coaching business? Yeah, I mean, I think yes and yes. And I was 
always doing feminist work. So my kind of little legal world (laughs) was pretty feminist dominated. Like I worked in, I was a reproductive rights litigator and then I was an academic, although academics is very masculine. There's more, a lot more men. But yeah, I think the same socialization patterns that show up everywhere show up in law as well. And like, for instance, when I went to law school, as you said, I went to Harvard and it was the only kind of top law school in the U.S. at that point that like still could not get its gender balance to 50-50. I enrolled in 2005 and I was like heavily recruited. In fact, (laughs) Elizabeth Warren (laughs) was like (laughs) sent to call me and talk to me, not because I was like a huge superstar. I mean, I obviously had good grades and, you know, was a good candidate, but because they like couldn't get enough women to come because the reputation of the school was such that it was sort of regressive and still sexist. And, you know, and I, I definitely had some like insane interactions with professors during during classes. You know, they like couldn't teach criminal law and rape law without traumatizing everybody in the class. I mean, it was just, yeah. So I do think law in general has this issue. I was lucky in that all of my kind of professional experiences, although, you know, I clerked for a judge and, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm not going to tell that story. Let me just say there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of sexism in the judiciary also. My God. And obviously, looking at the success you've been having with the podcast as well, it makes me realize that this is an issue that's huge. There's a lot of people that have an interest in it that need to work towards it. And you're really talking here around unfuck your brain. So my my question would be, what are we seeing in the workplace in general? Like, what is this doing to women, the fact that the system is biased this way? And what are you seeing psychologically is the impact of this being Yeah. I mean, I think that, and I, you know, we really could talk about the impacts on both men and women, right? So if we sort of take the foundation that part of patriarchy is there's like stereotypical roles and ways men and women are supposed to be, right? And so women are stereotyped as like being very nurturing and very soft and like family oriented. And then men are stereotyped as being aggressive and intellectual. And if you look back through Western philosophy, right, there's a long history of men being associated with the mind and the brain and the sort of higher virtues, if you go back to Greek philosophy, and women being associated with the body, the baser instincts, childbearing, right? And so all of that, you know, still impacts us today. And so what you get is like, even if we're raised by, you know, I was raised by a family that was very interested in my career and my ambitions. I was in no way taught like, grow up and get a husband and stay home, (laughs) right? So even if you come from a family or like a social world where that's, things are more progressive, you're still absorbing everything from all this, the culture, right? And the society and like, what do we see in the politicians and how many women are there? And like, what do people say about people on TV and who's in the movies and whatever? So you absorb all of that. And then the problem is that when you've absorbed it, it comes back out in your own thoughts, right? And so if you're a woman, let's say that means that you have absorbed the stereotypes that like women aren't as smart as men or as knowledgeable or as authoritative. And so what that ends up looking like is, you know, I worked in a reproductive rights organization where it was the top of the field. Like we'd be in a meeting room, it was all the world experts were there in the meeting room. And yet women were still prefacing their contributions with like, well, I don't know, this might be dumb, but you know, or like, I don't know if this is a good idea. You know, and I was like, if we don't know, nobody knows. We are at the top of this field, right? And then on the other hand, you're going to have men who are hearing thoughts in their head that are sort of like, well, don't show emotion. Like, that's weak. Or like, you can't stop and be upset. Like, you should be strong. So whoever you are, like, you absorb this messaging. And 
it would be easy if it came out sounding like a 1950s radio announcer voice, then you would know it like wasn't really true. But it doesn't. It just sounds like your own thoughts saying to you like, oh, you got to show them that you're strong and, you know, aggressive. So don't let them talk or like, oh, you got to show them that you're friendly and kind. So don't say anything. You know, we're not always aware of these little things that we use in our language that actually completely changes the perception that we have for our own thoughts, as well as how we're perceived within those places like the boardroom. That is often the example of where you see these gender differences so much. Now, are we seeing that there's a massive amount of progress right now? Is it happening too slow? And when you see people actually taking the time to change these types of biases, what are we seeing happening in the workplace? That's such a big question. I mean, on a global scale, yes, I think things are happening fast in the sense that not global, I mean, sort of historical, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who just passed away, was the lawyer who brought the cases that allowed women to have bank accounts without male signatories on them, right? So like within her lifetime, <laughs> you couldn't have a bank account or a credit card if you didn't have a male signatory on it, if you were married or had a father. Like for most of Western human history, the only way to be a woman and have a good situation was basically to be wealthy and have both your father and husband be dead. That was when you could have your own property and no brothers. Like you had to have no men in your immediate family. Then you would have some of your own legal rights. So in that sense, right, like things have moved quite quickly. Social change has been fast. On the other hand, I think part of what we're seeing is that you can move law faster than you can move human culture. They sort of move together. Like you look at the Supreme Court, like the law is usually not that far out ahead of social opinion, right? And there's lots of like theories about democratic populism and whatever, like what makes that happen. But you can get to like enough social consensus so that, yes, we need a new law that like women can't be fired for being pregnant. <laughs> but the social forces and the social conditioning, the culture moves slower and it's much more subtle. Right. So I don't think like most women don't hear a voice in their head saying like, you shouldn't be allowed to go to the workplace. Right. It's like not that obvious. It's like much more subtle infiltration of kind of like not taking ourselves as seriously, right? And so I think one of the ways this plays out, like, yes, there's the obvious, there's all the statistics about the gender pay gap and the gap of, you know, women in leadership and corporations, all of that. The reason that I focus so much on the mental aspect is the truth is if we snapped our fingers overnight and we had a new law that required that every board be 50% women and every executive team be 50% women and whatever, if all the women have brains that were socialized to doubt themselves and all the men have brains that are socialized to be overconfident, we're still going to have the same problem, right? We have to change the thought process. So it goes both ways so that women are more confident and also men are socialized to not, you know, have their ego as attached to <laughs> being right. I mean, I think the problem, men get socialized to really have their ego so intensely attached to their work that, for instance, like being laid off can be you know, emotionally devastating, right? Or can seem emasculating or like there's a lot of stuff about the way men are socialized that doesn't help them out in the workforce either. And I was going to say, probably a lot of these businesses that might be going out of business over the last years might actually have been caused by a lot of people, the men particularly, not wanting to hear different opinions, not wanting to consider different perspective and being so ego driven and realizing that if you're not making those changes, then something comes along and takes them out. And so I would think that once you take the time to MF your brain, both on the male side, you're seeing that there's some issues within the businesses, and then you're missing out on a ton of innovation, a ton of fresh ideas, and a ton of ways that you could move forward as a company. And it's interesting because you're the one who's 
bringing in the consideration of the men when in my case i'm almost feeling like when i hear these topics i only want to speak about the women yet here you're including also that there's some issues with the men which i actually found interesting well because nobody like the human ego does not like to be told it's a problem right or that the problem is always them and that so i just think you know i speak to women all the time about unfucking their brains women are on board and if we can unfuck every woman's brain, the world's going to be better. But the men are 50% of the population also, right? And I think, like, part of this work for me is, right, encouraging everyone to just practice being more curious about what they are thinking and feeling and not assuming that it's, like, always correct or it's always objective or it's always, you know, it goes in, like, it's, like, in different directions. Like, women assume that their meanest thoughts about themselves are true, and I also, but even this conversation, I think, like the conversation we're having is still a little bit a product of a stereotype, right? That the problem with men is that they're over-aggressive or they're overconfident. But the truth is when people are over-aggressive and overconfident, it's really because they're insecure underneath and they are not allowed to show any weakness or vulnerability. And that is a problem of patriarchy too. So I'm not trying to sort of <laughs> like pander to the men on this podcast. I just think that it's that same problem, right? To me, coaching work is all about for anyone self-acceptance, being coming more comfortable with ourselves so that we can honestly look at what's happening in our brains and see how that's playing out in our lives, in our culture, in our offices. What are we creating for our teams, for our bosses, for our shareholders, like whoever it is, right? How is it impacting us and what results are we creating at work? And that really, yes, I specialize in women and the patriarchy, but that core practice, everybody would benefit from. I'd love to bring up an example of maybe a client that you've worked with and like, what is the result of when we start doing this work, right? So women get to show up fully as themselves, for example, and we get to challenge this kind of structure. What are you seeing in the organizations that you get a chance to work with these women and make these changes happen? I think it's so across the board. And that's part of what I think is one of the really kind of disturbing things about what patriarchy does to women's brains is that and this is a thing I do think is different. I don't think men have this problem. Women are socialized to believe that everybody else's opinion is more important than their own and that their kind of job in life is to make other people happy. And so, so many women think that they don't even know what they actually want. It, that's not really true. It's that they're not used to paying attention to what they want because they're used to evaluating what they should do based on what everybody else thinks, which is not generally how men are taught to make decisions. And so... I really find they're sort of, you know, sometimes somebody comes in and they're sure they want to quit their job and you work through it with them and they do actually want to quit their job and they want to go be an entrepreneur or whatever. But then a lot of the times they come in, they think they want to quit their job, you work through it. And then it turns out like, no, they actually love their job. It was just like their thoughts making them miserable, right? And so they're able to take this work. So I think there's sort of different levels, like people show up in their individual jobs in different ways. Like I would say in general, what you see on the personal level is like, Productivity goes up, stress goes down, work-life balance gets better, boundaries get better, people get better at prioritizing the work that actually needs to get done. They save all the time they've been spending, like numbing themselves out because they're so stressed out. They get out of that flight or fright parasympathetic nervous system activation all the time, which, you know, we've been conditioned to actually think that that feeling stressed is like a sign that we're busy and productive, and you actually are terribly inefficient. You, the only thing you're efficient at when you're stressed is literally running away from a predator that's going to eat you. That's the only thing that you're more efficient at when you're stressed. So if your job does not involve like cleaning the lion's cages at a zoo, you're not more efficient when you're in that state. 
and even that might not even be the best way because sometimes if you have that <laughs> that I don't know that tiger running for you and you yeah, decide you to go for the run freeze, anyway. you're, you're thinking the freeze option is going to work, and then you just stand still and maybe it won't then see you. Get you. Eaten. Yeah, exactly. You still have to use your prefrontal cortex to figure out how to get away from the lion. And then I think the next level is they bring. I mean, I having come from the feminist movement, I'm very committed to kind of grassroots activism, which sort of means you're empowering people to go out and empower each other and change the world, right? To me, it's not like everyone needs to come. I can't teach everybody in the world. I want to teach people who can go out and teach other people, right? And so I think you see people bringing this work into their daily life, which to me is what will really create that revolution, which just means like being able to teach their children and their anyone from their children to their direct reports at work, like the kind of basic a lot of the work that I do is teaching people basic, and I'm not laughing at them. I had to learn them too. I didn't learn them growing up either. Like basic emotional processing and resilience skills that unfortunately many of us do not learn as children. Like it would be great if we did, but some people do, but many of us don't. And so a lot of it is really just learning people how to like cope with being a human. Like how do you deal with your emotions? How do you not believe all the crazy shit your brain says? How do you like think about other people's point of view? How do you not be so reactive to the world? And so I think the people who stay in organizations and stay in businesses when they do this work, they can do their job better, but they also empower other people to do their jobs better. And for women, especially, that often looks like taking bigger risks, like number one, stopping doing shit just because someone else asked them to, right? So there's lots of studies documenting, like in academia, that women end up doing 90% of the committee work, right? Or of all the like unpaid extra stuff that goes on around an office or a university or whatever, women end up doing much more of that. So I think it enables them to have better boundaries, not just say yes to everything out of guilt. I mean, a lot of things operate on <laughs> the kind of truth that a lot of women will just say yes to doing a bunch of stuff because they don't want to feel guilty and they think they're supposed to. And so when you're able to stop doing that, I think you really force a rebalancing. It's human nature. If two people don't want to do something and one of them feels guilty and says yes, the other person's going to be like, great, now I don't have to do it. <laughs> It's just, we can tell people all we want to like volunteer to take that on, but that's just not really human nature. You know, the person who keeps solving the problem by doing it themselves has to learn to start saying no. I just think that's more direct and effective. We'll end this by making sure we have some things that people can take direct action on to unfuck their brains. But before I get to that, I want to ask one more thing, which I think is probably very relevant for a lot of people since, you know, we're recording this in the interesting year of 2020. and <laughs> The decade of 2020 is what it feels like. <laughs> and now we've had some major shifts in the workplace, and particularly with remote work. And you mentioned something important called the boundaries, you know. Are you seeing that remote work is actually working in favor or against these kind of needing to put boundaries in place so that people aren't reaching these stress levels, burnouts, working more hours. And from that, what would be some things you could give as advice for people who might be finding themselves working even harder because now there's no barrier between life and work? I think the answer to that has a lot to do with whether you have children, right? And whether you're homeschooling your children. So we're definitely seeing a huge problem in the workforce where I think in September in America, at least something like 600,000 women dropped out of the workforce to like homeschool their kids whose schools were closed because of COVID compared to maybe 200,000 men. So a much bigger difference. So, but I think it depends. Like part of what I teach is it always is going to be about what is your thought process. This is like a whole, people can come listen to the podcast for the whole thing, but teachers like your thoughts are what create your feelings and that's what drives your actions, right? Your thoughts aren't always true. 
<laughs> they're just what you've been taught to think. And that's what motivates everything you do. So some people who have thoughts that are working for them, either they're just naturally lucky or they've learned to think on purpose, which is what I teach. And, you know, so if your thought is like, listen, I'm homeschooling my kids. I can do four good hours of work a day. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to like let all the dumb shit that we really didn't ever need to be doing, like let that go. And I'm just going to focus on my priorities and get it done. Those people are fine. The people whose thought process is, oh my God, my boss is going to hate me. Everyone's going to hate me. I have to do everything. I'm already failing at this. I'm so stressed out. This is so overwhelming. There's no way to do it right. Like those people are having nervous breakdowns. A lot of it has to do with how you decide. I mean, a lot of what I teach is <laughs> different from many life coaches in that I don't teach kind of like the world is perfect and amazing. And <laughs> like I teach like the world is sometimes a shit show. Look at 2020. This work is about like how do we deal with it when the world is not the way we want? Like how do we become more resilient? And so I think that if you are someone who is kind of working from home and feeling like either you're trying to also homeschool your children <laughs> or you're just feeling like, you know, you're working even more, always what my advice is for everything, which is literally sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down what all of your thoughts are about your work. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you still on the computer at 11 p.m.? Write down what all these thoughts are. We all think it's because my boss is an asshole or I have so much work to do. We all think it's the external things, but it's not. It's what your thought process is that is making you anxious if you don't check your email, right? We can't control that email is going to come in. So we have to learn how to change our thought process that email can come in if it wants and we are not anxious about checking it until tomorrow morning. Mm. It's almost like there's obviously so much changes that have happened both in our work style, but in general, we've seen the train with the technology just bringing in so much more information coming at us and the flow of information is higher pace. So it's almost like we have to be forgiving for ourselves. Yeah, you'll never beat it. You're never going to beat the flow of global information. You will never be on top of it. I mean, one of the biggest immediate tweaks you can make to your stress level about your work is to stop thinking that you are supposed to get to done at some point. Like people think I'm supposed to finish my to-do list. Or I'm supposed to like be done with work at some point. Work is like a river. There's always more work flowing in and work flowing out. You're never done until you retire or you die. So just stop trying to be done. Even just like changing that framing, like there's always going to be more work to do tomorrow. That's the nature of work. That's why you keep getting paid. It doesn't mean anything has gone wrong. But yeah, you can't outrun it. There's a great, I can't remember, maybe it was Gert. There's somebody identified in history who's basically the last person who could be up to date and educated on everything that was going on in the known world. Like that was it. It was several hundred years ago and now it's impossible. So I think that's self-forgiveness. That's all of it. It's a pandemic. All of a sudden you're homeschooling your kids and you and your partner are working in the living room on conference calls. It's not going to be maybe the most productive year of your life. And that's okay, right? That self-talk where you berate yourself for not doing it well enough or keeping up or being productive enough, that's the biggest problem you have. I had not heard anybody describe work that way. And I find it's like, you just said that and I almost felt like my shoulders relaxed a little. I'm yeah, like, right? Right. It's so work much better. Flow. It's a river. Yeah. Work comes in, work goes out. It's supposed to. If work stops coming in, then you don't have a job anymore. That's such a powerful model right there. So I'm hoping everybody listening really got the grasp of that. But for me, it just it just gave me that shift in mindset that I just went like, yeah, why am I just always stressing and feeling like I need to grind till it's done? There's going to be more the next day. It never ends. And we need to become comfortable with that and acknowledge that and be okay with that. Yeah, let it flow over you. 
<laughs> right. And, and, and then at the same time, I also love the fact that we need to acknowledge that 2020 might not be the most productive year ever, and that's okay too. And so it's almost like it's a great reset. I was interviewing a wonderful Tara Nicole Nielsen in a previous podcast episode where we talked about 2020 being a great reset, an opportunity to kind of go back and do that inventorying of what's working, what doesn't work. And how you define productivity also, though, right? Like surviving a global pandemic is quite productive. That is a very productive thing to do for yourself. Like That counts. <laughs> taking care of the health, why not? And you already gave a great system, which is, you know, taking the journal, inventorying those thoughts and being able to kind of witness them. What are some other things that we can use with the time during this year where we'd have less commute, so we should be able to have some elements that we reset? What can we do, and particularly women can do, to unfuck their minds during this year so that we can start maybe on a future note to have less stress, more productivity, more fun, and just a better workplace environment in general? Well, I mean, honestly, I would be like, that thought you just said that like, well, I'm not commuting, so I should be able to do even more now. That sounds like a very stressful thought to me. <laughs> like, okay, maybe you saved an hour a day on your commute and you're allowed to use that hour a day to just like sleep or watch an hour of TV after your kids go to bed because you're all home 24 seven. It's just like a lot more grace with ourselves. I don't think it's about a reset in terms of like, people respond to crisis in different ways. Some people get very activated and they want to run around and do a lot of shit. Fine. Some people kind of shut down and need to process. Also fine. For me, it's sort of a reset of like, what really matters? Like if the pandemic causes you to reset in such a way that you appreciate being alive in a human body that's basically functioning more, I think that's an amazing reset, right? To put the pressure on yourself of like, okay, well, now I have extra time. So it needs to be a reset in that, like, I also need to train to run a marathon and learn how to bake sourdough and do this project and do that project. Like, all that hustle, the productivity hustle that is so often tied to your self-worth, it's just like work. You're never going to finish all your work. You can't outrun the global information economy. You also are never going to be able to hustle your way to feeling good about yourself. You're never going to be able to produce or achieve your way to feeling good about yourself. Believe me, I have tried. It doesn't work. So I think it's an opportunity for the kind of reset that I want to see, which is to really acknowledge and experience for ourselves how little the external circumstances of our world have to do with how we think and feel. And the truth is what I've seen with myself and all my students is, and the studies bear this out too, you know, there's studies showing that after a big crisis, like, you know, becoming paralyzed or like something huge, people's baseline happiness returns to where it was within two years, right? People have sort of a happiness set point. So I think you can change that if you manage your mind on purpose. But the point is, it doesn't have to do with the circumstances and conditions of your life. Like, you can be happy in a pandemic or you can be miserable in a pandemic. You can be happy in a non-pandemic. You can be miserable in a non-pandemic. I think this is such an opportunity to see that like what really creates the quality of your life is not the fancy things you can buy, not the trips you can go on that make other people jealous, not the productivity hustle, not anything other than how do you choose to show up in the face of sort of the difficult parts of life. Like I teach this thing to my students called This is the Part Where – which is like when you look back on your life story, what do people remember? It's all the struggles and hard parts that they triumphed over, right? It's in the adversity that you are tested and that you grow and that you develop. And when you look back, it's like movie stars are always looking back at that time they were 22 and living like five people in a shoebox on the Lower East Side and working at the bar, right? Because like those are the times that you see what you're made of. You see how much you want it. You like dealt with that struggle. And so... 
to sort of stop resisting the difficulty of 2020. Like this is a perfect opportunity, I think, to just embrace. <laughs> Sometimes life is a shit show and we none of us ordered this. Nobody was like, here's what I want to have happen in 2020. Descent into fascism and global pandemic. But this is where we are. So how are we going to show up for that? That I think is like what makes a human life meaningful. And you only get to practice that when things go wrong. I love that you said that, Carl. But at the same time, I remember at the beginning of 2020, everybody's saying like, this is going to be a year that I really want to have an awakening. I really want to have, you know, growth. And then, you know, yeah. the universe Don't goes, ask the oh. universe for an awakening if you don't want it to be. Birth is not a clean, pleasant experience. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> and the universe provided a quite exactly. a mess for us on the year. So, Kara, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of these amazing insights. What I want to give for everybody listening here is if you want to go deeper into the process of unfucking your brain, definitely go and check out the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. It's an amazing podcast you can find on all the major outlets. We're going to have a link in the show notes so you can continue to go in this process to discover the ways that we show up. How do we show up in better ways and actually be able to deal with these anxiety issues that we often create in our heads. And there's a lot of ways that we can deal with that. It's been amazing to have you on the show and share a lot of this reality that's happening in the world and challenging the ways that we look at all these challenges we face so that we can show up fuller, better, and also see that there's more equality that happens all over the areas of our life from work to law to our personal lives as well. So thank you so much, Kara, for coming in and sharing these insights and everybody listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that All Access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. Mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.